0: Hello, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, just published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. What makes them tick? My guest today is my old friend and longtime client, Ray Blanchett, who is an incredible entrepreneur in the restaurant industry and a legend in that industry, currently CEO of TGI Fridays. How did Ray and his colleagues at TGI Fridays lead the restaurant company through the early stages of the pandemic? And how is he teaching the people at TGI Fridays to be indispensable going forward? I am thrilled to have as our guest, Ray Blanchett, who is a a longtime client and I dare say friend, um, and uh, somebody I've admired for a long time, a leader in the restaurant industry. Um, And let me read uh, his bio so that I, I get it all right. Ray Blanchett is a food industry veteran with over 30 years of restaurant experience. He is currently president and chief executive officer of TGI Fridays. Prior to joining TGI Fridays, Ray served as the chief executive officer of Ruby Tuesday and previously as chief executive officer of Obon Pan. For the prior eight years, he served as president, chief executive officer, and director of Ignite Restaurant Group. During his tenure at Ignite, He executed a turnaround of the core Joe's Crab Shack business, expanding average unit volumes from 2.1 million to 3.4 million, while also creating the Brick House Tavern and Tap brand and developing it to approximately $90 million in revenue. Welcome, Ray Blanchett.
1: Geez, I need to shorten
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, it's it's an illustrious career and Uh, I've learned from you and from some of your colleagues in the industry uh, just how challenging and demanding the restaurant industry is and just how many people work in the restaurant industry, how many livelihoods are attached to it and how many people's social lives revolve around uh, these restaurants. Uh, And um, we've been living through this pandemic now And the restaurant industry has been especially hard hit. And you have been leading one of the largest restaurant companies in the world through this pandemic. Can you say something about this challenge?
1: Yeah, well, obviously, um, you know, we've dealt, Bruce, we've we've dealt with epidemics because we're a global business. So, um, you know, when SARS first came on the scene in the early 2000s and really sort of stayed in Asia and, and never was a, was a big influence or the swine flu. I mean, we've, we've dealt with epidemics. We've never seen a situation that's, that's truly pandemic. That is, you know, impacted the entire world all at once. I mean, we watched our, our revenue drop by 80% overnight. Um, 80% and this is, and, and how many
0: employees are you responsible for?
1: Yeah, there's 60,000 60, people worldwide um and you got to remember who these these people are Bruce right these are the ones that are are some of the most vulnerable in our society they're the the working poor in many cases this is where immigrants are, they use our industry now to break the cycle of poverty for their families they get their kids educated right as first generation immigrants they move on and and break the cycle of poverty for their families forever but they come here they work two jobs they're very hard working folks, they don't necessarily have access to the same safety net, right? That everyone else might have access to. They come from developing countries generally that, so they don't even think around social safety nets. And then if you think about the businesses that we have around the globe, I mean the jobs that we create in these developing countries literally are changing people's lives. And so to have that ripped away overnight is quite frankly, terrifying to start with.
0: Right. Because it's like, how, how are we going to take care of all these people? Right. You know, and, and, and I know, uh, your style of leadership, um, it's what, what I would describe as servant leadership, uh, that you feel a huge responsibility, I think, for, uh, providing support, guidance, direction, and, uh, broadly leadership for these folks. And, this is how this is their livelihood. This is their career. This is how they feed their families. Um, and this is how you serve your customers. Um, that's a lot of pressure. That must be feel like a, uh, just a, a profound responsibility. It was a huge weight,
1: right? I mean, when, when this first went down and, and there were more questions than answers, right? Around, around impact. Um, it was really terrifying. Cause I, I, we met as an executive team every single day 7 days a week reacting to information as it was coming available and devising strategies to save the company but I said very early on if we save this company but fail any of our team members in the process we have failed as an executive team you can't call that a victory we have to protect all 60,000 people and save the company in order for this to be considered a success
0: yeah that's that's huge and- you guys were ahead of the game i mean um i know from my own experience i was coming to your international conference and uh uh, and uh, you were among the very first to cancel um and uh you know of course everyone followed after but um but i think you guys were ahead of the curve i don't know i mean that was a scary decision
1: to be honest with you bruce because when i was making that decision i was thinking am i being rash right i mean But then you just, you sort of let your value system take over, right? And you go, wait a minute. If one person gets sick as a result of this business meeting, could I live with that decision? Like, am I making the right decision? And the answer is obviously no. And you're bringing people in from all over the world. And then sure enough, that week was that we canceled our meeting was the same week that that group in Boston had theirs. Seated, I mean, if that were us that that got people sick as a result of, freaking business meeting. <laughs> but at the time it was, it seemed like, wow, you know, maybe we're being silly here.
0: You were ahead of the curve. You were among the very first, certainly you were the first in my experience. And in fact, it was prescient and extremely uh, responsible. I think one of the things I thought about afterwards, well, one thing you guys, uh, because you're such an international business, there were people coming in from all over the world. Um, they were would have convened there in I think it was in Nashville, right? And um, and and you would have been flirting around uh, some of the travel bans that went into effect, so people could have gotten stranded, also. No
1: doubt, no doubt. I mean, hindsight being twenty twenty, we would have made the exact same exact same decision.
0: So, so you were acting early and um, and with a great sense of uh, responsibility to your. Uh, constituencies and then along the way you you must be making decisions in a crisis environment almost daily
1: oh without a doubt i mean now things have sort of stabilized but we're also kind of three three and a half months into this thing right so um you know it, in those first three four weeks it was a seven day a week type ordeal right you trying you're scrambling to understand your cash position you've got franchisees all over the world that you're trying to solve for. How do we support them? What I don't want to do is create long-term problems from a short-term issue. Right? So I don't want to lose a bunch of restaurants. Mm -hmm. Those jobs that we create are important. I don't want to lose, you know? And so we've got to, we've got to support those small businesses to help them survive this thing while simultaneously trying to survive ourselves and, and protect our people. So, uh, every day it was like new, new things coming. We, we created the, the Friday's family link on our website. We were able to direct, you know, team members to that. If you are unable to access the social safety net, if you're, if you're in, in dire need, you're about to be evicted or any, if there's any way that we can help you because we can't just help everybody, but we can help everybody that's in need, right? Everybody that can't access the social safety net. So we prioritize that work around helping those most in need, leveraging our general managers and and management teams relationship with their team members to stay in touch with people, to make sure that we're able to find out who is, you know, who is it that needs this, this help and, and how can we provide it? Um, and then we, then we had to start looking at growth layers, right? How do you compete in this new world order? I mean, all of a sudden, you've got no dining rooms, you've got no bars. We're in the bar and grill business and you got to find a way to compete and so adding new growth layers and curbside pickup solutions and adding call centers that created jobs and I mean I could go on it it's it is exhaustive the amount of territory that you try and cover looking for workable solutions
0: did you and your team did you establish a set of uh principles that would guide you and uh and and to take you through your decisions? Uh, did you have a decision matrix or how, 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 did you create a true north for yourself?
1: We literally, I mean, we created guiding principles day one. I mean, it took us a couple days to build them out, but day one, we said, all right, we need to set, we need a framework, right? For decision-making because that enables, right? You get people the freedom to make decisions within a narrowly really defined strategy, right? Here are the white lines in the road. These are the guiding principles. We're going to put team member, uh, safety you know, team member guest safety is number one. We can't make decisions that would put people at risk. You know, so we literally just spelled it out. I think there were seven or eight guiding principles and that became the matrix that executives could now make feel free to make decisions within this matrix, right? You know what it is that's important to us. You're a smart executive. Go lead your team fearlessly and boldly.
0: So having that, those guiding principles, did, did that was, would you say that was one of the most important things you did up front?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I think anytime you enable people to make decisions on their own, right, to leverage the the group think and and leverage the, the, the strength within the organization, um, you create less bottlenecks that way, right? You enable, um, you enable people to go much faster. And in situations like this, um, decisions tended to need to be made very quickly, right? And, and, and boldly, you're, you kind of get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, look, we're not gonna make every decision right. If we fail, we have to fail fast. We have to, everything we do has to be fast, but not rash. And that's where I think the guiding principles help, right? It enables you to move very quickly through the decision matrix and know that you're not gonna do something that violates your value system
0: everything we have, we had to do fast, but not ranch. Uh, that's, that's, that's challenging.
1: No doubt.
0: Uh, and it, would you say, um, as crises go, it, is this uh, the most challenging?
1: Yeah, I, I think it probably has been. Um, primarily because there's no part of the company that's unaffected. I've never experienced that. I've had some, we've dealt with some really difficult crisis. I remember when the Russian currency collapsed in 97 um, and literally 70, the ruble devalued by 75% in a day. Okay, that's a crisis, but it's a crisis that only affects the restaurants in Russia. And we're not Russian. So if I were Russian, it probably would feel like really, really bad. But for us as a company, it wasn't that big a deal. You stick handle through it. you know, like, oh, dang it. And that's going to make it harder to makes it harder to realize to make your plan. Versus now, if we make the wrong decision, we we could put team members and guests in harm's way. We could literally get people sick if we don't make smart decisions.
0: Yeah, and you said and a precipitous uh, decline of 80% of revenue, I mean, that's just just mind boggling. So who would you say through this crisis have been the kind of the rocks, the indispensable go-to people, the ones you've been able to rely on the most how would you describe those folks or what 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 do they have in common or do they come in all shapes and sizes?
1: They come in all shapes and sizes. They wear any number of titles from your, you know, SVP of purchasing to the kitchen manager in Wachung, New Jersey. Right. And there are heroes everywhere. You know, in some of my darkest days, right, when you're just like getting exhausted by the crisis, um, and go talk to our managers and talk to our team members and have them build me back up. Right. And it was literally like they're pumping me full of oxygen because their entrepreneurial ship, their, their enthusiasm, their optimism, they, 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 they connected what they were doing with the performance of the company in a way that they never had done before. They literally knew they were saving this company in the work they're doing. Right. And, and you could feel it in an instant cause I would just be like, cause we, we started, we lost 80% of the revenue and very quickly we were down 40% year on year. That was all these growth layers. They found, they added curbside pickup and delivery and all these ways in which we could compete. And it was those managers, you know, letting their natural curiosity help drive them through this process staying optimistic, staying enthusiastic, and oh, by the way, working for less money. The day the crisis hit, I eliminated my salary, took the executives down by 50%, the senior VPs by 40%, VPs and directors by 30%, and then managers. So every manager in the restaurant went down by 20%. So they're working for 80% salary, and just as optimistic and more engaged than they probably ever have been. So it really is not, you know, it's not compensation purely that drives in those situations. I mean, they were so focused on doing work they were proud of to save this company, to save their restaurant, to save those jobs. I mean, if you couldn't
0: get fired up by that, I I don't know what would fire you up. That's fantastic. So they come in all shapes and sizes what would you, and and you, you, you point to their optimism, to their enthusiasm, uh, to their entrepreneurship, uh, to their, um, working harder and more creatively, even with, uh, reduced financial compensation, the people who stood out the most, are there any common denominators? Wow. Um, I mean, certainly there are passion,
1: energy. I mean, it was, it was believable when they would tell you what they were going to do to turn, you know, to keep their restaurant viable, to get team members back to work. It was believable to me as the CEO, but I know it was believable to the folks that were reporting to them. Like I look at these people and go, you know, to me, the acid test for leadership is, could I work for that person? Like, why would I ask somebody to work for a person that I wouldn't work for? I mean it was a resounding yes in every one of these cases when I'm interacting with these general managers that they stayed focused on the task at hand they didn't ask anybody to do something they weren't willing to do themselves they were empathetic through this process cuz let's be real you know not everybody was comfortable working when you know you're dealing with a a pandemic these are first responders they're Right there, interacting on a daily basis, people that could make them deathly ill. I mean, you don't know at that point. But they—they were able to, through their um, just drive and energy and and enthusiasm, they willed it to happen. I mean, I've said for years, I've never seen a positive result in in business from a negative influence. Like fear is a short-term motivator. You can get. You know, you you might be able to prop up a result for a period of time, managing through fear,
0: but it never lasts. But part of what you're describing, of course, is a company, an industry, and individuals backed into a corner by these large forces uh, outside their control. Um, and uh, you know, you know, I'm a, a lifelong martial artist. You know, my teacher always told me the most dangerous person is somebody who's backed into a corner, uh, because they're going to have to fight their way out. But you're really putting the focus on uh, their determination, uh, their optimism, their enthusiasm, their creativity, um, and and what was the sense of collegiality among people?
1: Well, that's right, and and, and a willingness to ad- adapt and to implement and integrate change rapidly because we were creating, you know, in, in Dallas, I mean, we were coming up with ideas. Here's how we can execute curbside. Here's how we can make sure the phone gets answered every single time somebody tries to call who we're not designed as a phone based business. So we created a call center out of thin air took the, like I don't have an office line right now in Dallas. People call me, you got to call me on the cell because my phone line is being used for the call center. Wow. Right. So every restaurant in the country after three rings, it automatically rolls over to the call center to make sure we don't lose any trap. All this stuff is being created on the fly and you know, different people. So your op services team in the support center, they're leading boldly your executives that are creating the They're leading boldly. Your managers that are implementing this change and executing it are leading bold. Everybody across the board, leading fearlessly, not be, not afraid to change but embracing it and, and driving it through the organization to get full value. You know, I have a sweatshirt you gave me that says
0: leading boldly on it. No, that, that's a <laughs> night sweatshirt. I remember that one. <laughs> um, so, uh, so what does it do for relationships and um, the sense of uh, the collegial bond to go through this crisis together?
1: Yeah, I mean, to, we talk about it a lot now, because I'm like, I hope we never lose this, right? I mean. You look at the relationship with us and our franchisees right now, as in, you know, cause there's a lot of constituencies we're trying to serve and you know, those franchisees as we've been communicating with them at a level that we haven't in probably ever. Right. We're, we're, at first we were literally meeting with having an all franchise conference call twice a week wow. to let them know about all the changes that we're making and all the things we're doing to compete harder to protect their company. We've offered up, you know, royalty abatements as opposed to, kicking the can down the road and creating a debt that they may never be able to pay off. And um, that's along the lines of, you know, not creating a long-term problem out of a short-term issue. And and so our relationship right now with our franchisees, when it could be at its most tenuous, is clearly at the strongest it's ever been. Now
0: that's, and, and that is a function of leadership. I mean, I, I always say leadership matters. I think this is a good illustration of how leadership matters and not every leader has responded to this time of crisis in a way that is unifying, and supportive, and inclusive. I've always been proud to know you, but I'm I'm even more proud to know you and to be associated uh, with TGI Fridays. Where are you in the in the process now?
1: Well, you know, we had cash stabilized probably within the third the first thirty to forty five days, right? And I knew all right. I'm not going to let this company go bankrupt. Um, we're going to, we, we've got enough cash on the balance sheet that because liquidity obviously matters. And um, it's not like the bankers are going to give you an, you know, oh, you know don't worry about principal and interest for a while, you yeah, know, that's fine. That, that's not how that works. <laughs> they, you tell them, listen, I'm trying to save jobs. They're like, that's great. After you pay principal and interest, you know, use whatever other money you have left right. to save jobs. Right? Best of luck. <laughs> right. good luck with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, you're not. You, those aren't those aren't your friends. Um, but now I think yeah, we feel pretty good about where we are, and we feel great about where we've been able to support people. Um, we too every week. We bring more jobs back into the company, uh, which is really what what matters most to me is getting getting our people back fully employed. And, and you know, I think yesterday we opened Massachusetts fifty percent. Uh, New York is one of the last to go. Actually, New Jersey's not going until July. So a lot of the company-owned restaurants that are in the Northeast um, are still on either limited service uh, or some version of an outside tent, Any anything we can do to compete. I think you, you're in Connecticut, right? So we've, we've got a couple tents set up in Connecticut. Are I mean, people we, coming into the restaurants? There's pent up demand. I mean, we are social beings. We have to, we
0: crave it so much. We have to be around people at some point. And I'll bet my bottom dollar, you still can't get a soggy fry at Friday's. It better be
1: hot and fresh, you know that. You've been teaching our managers that for decades. <laughs> they don't, uh, you,
0: you, nobody batches fries at Friday's. No, sir, you know better. So uh, I always tell people, if you ever find a soggy fry at uh, Friday's, let me know about it.
1: You, yeah, you know exactly who to go with too, with that uh, story.
0: Uh, well, uh, let me say, um, as as um, as an American and as uh, a restaurant goer and as a, uh, a patron of Fridays, thank you for leading the organization through this crisis, and um, and you are an inspiration. You you know, I don't think people realize. Um, What's at stake? 60,000 people, Mm. their livelihoods, their careers, their ability to take care of their families. Um, uh, it, it, it is, it is important work leading people and leading companies. And, um, you are as, as good at it as anyone I've ever known. So, uh, thank you for being an inspiration.
1: Um, yeah, I was just in Greece, um, right before the crisis. And I was talking with a woman, her job was executive director, of new development or some big fancy title, right? And we're, we're about halfway through the meeting and she finally looks over and she goes, you know, I know you. I said, really, we've, we've met before? She says, yeah. I said, when? She said, Kefisia. Now Kefisia was the original TGI Fridays that we opened in 1997. And uh, I said, well, what did you do? She said, well, I was a line cook in the in, you know, work plate, what we call plate nacho, which is basically pantry. She made salads and, and appetizers. I said, so you're a plate nacho cook? She says, yeah. She goes, you did my first unit review. You gave me zero points. Okay, this was an hourly employee 22 years ago in Greece. She is now, you know, a mother, an executive, right? This hugely successful person and still with the same company. And, and it changed, changed her world. She owns a home. I mean, I, I, I hear those same stories in Brazil, in Peru, in the Philippines, and, you know, quite frankly, in Dallas and in Newark. You know, that's, that's what's exciting about this work. I mean, those kinds of jobs, those, that kind of opportunity literally changes people's lives. 30 plus years ago, when I started at Fridays, the vast majority of our kitchen managers were white guys. They were like me, right? They got out managers and training. And then I started as a KM, right? I was a kitchen manager after my manager and training. Today, the vast majority, I mean 85, 90% of our kitchen managers, which a really important job in our company and, and well compensated, are black and brown, which is who they're serving. That's that's progress,
0: dude. That is that's something to get excited about. And uh, I know that you and the company have been very supportive of inclusion and diversity, and especially um, in these recent weeks, I know you've put out messages to that effect. Oh, yeah. and, um, and I know it's, it's, it's authentic, it's, it's, um, it's, it's true north. So, so I have one last question for you, which is somebody who's starting out now, uh, they look at you and they say, I wanna be that guy. Uh, What's your advice to to somebody who's starting out their career right now?
1: Well, I think um, it's probably two things, Bruce. Number one, whatever role you're in, try to be the best it's ever been. You know, if you're in charge of the bussers or the dishwashers, be the best dishwasher manager ever. Or if you currently are a dishwasher, be the greatest dishwasher in the history of dishwashing. Like literally set that as your goal. and then every time you have an opportunity to le- cross a learning chasm do it i remember early in my career you know, i was running the tgi fridays and they asked if i'd go run new england i was in maryland will you go run new england and be a director i'm like sure absolutely cross that learning chasm get that business to number one in the company and then they said hey will you go run europe in the middle east i'm like i'm not even sure i have a passport but the answer is yes because that's that sounds fascinating. There's, you know, there's, there's interesting learning opportunities that happen all the time. So if you just let your natural curiosity help you in decision-making, remain intensely curious in whatever role you're in. How can you make it better? How can you leave it better than you found it? How can you be better than anybody that's ever done it? Um, I mean, I think those are the people that tend to go the, fir- the farthest, the, the fastest.
0: Ray Blanchett. CEO of TGI Fridays, a true indispensable. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast.
1: Thanks, Bruce, man. We love you, buddy. Can't wait to have you at our conference whenever we can have one again.
0: I'm ready. I'm ready. Next week, I will be interviewing Janet Altman, a partner at one of the top accounting firms in the world, Kaufman Rawson. If you like this episode, Please subscribe and leave us a review. Any little bit helps to drive us up the charts. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto That's at goto You can learn more about goto-ism and the techniques which make indispensable people stand out in their jobs and careers and lives. In my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, Available now from Harvard Business Review Press. Available wherever books are sold. If you're interested in bulk orders, please check the show notes for more information. And finally, you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com, by following me on Twitter, at Bruce Tulgan, or find me on LinkedIn and Facebook at the links in the show notes. Until next time, stay strong and be indispensable at work.